and welcome to the second season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guests today are Rachel Dean and David Brush. Rachel is a composer, pianist, and music director, now serving as a rehearsal pianist for Hamilton. Her musicals include Medusa and The Anxiety Project. She's a member of ASCAP and a graduate of the Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program at NYU. David is a dramaturg, writer, director, and producer whose musicals include The Anxiety Project and Summer of My German Soldier. He holds a BS from Wright State University and an MA in theater from Regent University. We're going to talk today about portraying mental illness in musical theater. Welcome to Scene to Song. We have today uh, two guests. One is Rachel Dean. Hey there. Who is here with me. And we have David Brush, uh, who is with us on the phone. We're going to start with our getting to know our guests questions. What was your first experience with a musical? So for me, I, it was it was on film, actually, so I hope that counts. But mm-hmm. it was absolutely Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was my first interaction with, and I think Disney in general, but Mary Poppins is the one that sticks for me. I think I'm, I'm sort of the same experience I have with musicals now, which is it, it was not strange to me at all that characters would break out into song in the, mm-hmm. in the middle of a scene. I think it wasn't odd to me. And I think to some of my siblings and, and friends and family, that was sort of strange, but it seemed very... Uh, commonplace to me and always has been since. The first live show that I saw, my parents took me to a community theater production of Fiddler on the Roof because um, they wanted me to be able to sympathize with my dad because I have two sisters. So it's a similar situation of like three daughters Mm -hmm. and and seeing them all get married off. Not me (laughs) yet, but you know. Um, And so that was an interesting uh, first live experience. What was the last great musical you saw? The last I saw was I had just seen a regional uh, of In the Heights, mm-hmm. uh, one of the first regionals that has been released, um, and that's the first time I'd seen it since New York. Mm-hmm. And I was reminded again. It's funny you mentioned Fiddler because I always I always pair those shows together. But huh. I love In the Heights because it's this perfect marriage of something that feels contemporary and fresh, and yet everything about it is so golden age. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and traditional in its structure, and I love that, and so few shows can achieve that, so I think that was certainly my last, and uh, I've hoped to see it again soon. Cool. I think for me, the last thing that I, the most recent thing that sticks in my mind is Head Over Heels, actually, um, just because of how fresh and different it felt to me, and mm-hmm. it was just so fun to see something so like rambunctiously like joyous and inclusive mm-hmm. on Broadway. Um, it was great to see LGBTQ characters allowed to have a happy ending yeah. because that's such a rare thing. Um, it was just so fun. The music obviously is great and like the book was really interesting and, and sort of Shakespearean in a way, which I found really fun. Cool. What older or classic show did you recently see for the first time and what was your experience with it? 
Okay, so I'm kind of cheating this answer because it's not officially the first time I've seen the show, but it was the first time I'd seen it on stage, mm. and it was White Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that struck me was that the libretto is genuinely funny. Hmm. I guess I never, it never occurred to me before, but it really is sort of laugh out loud funny. Um, it, it certainly is a lot of, you know, musical theater standard tropes, but just a, a great time on stage. And uh, it, so to me, it felt like seeing it for the first time, even though I'd seen the film a million times. Yeah, do you, I wonder if that's just like seeing it with the live audience. Mm. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that's true. I recently saw the revival of Hello, Dolly! with uh, Bernadette. Yep. Um, totally similar experience to you, David, where it was just, it's so, it's interesting to see the ways in which like humor ends up being timeless when it's on stage, um, because we, we just connect to like, humans being real and being funny, I think, and, and the theater is the strongest medium for that, I feel. Um, right, right. It was also just so, it was so fun. It was such a moving story because how often do we get to see like an older woman as a protagonist just like chasing after happiness and like rooting for her all the way. Mm-hmm. That was really cool for mm-hmm. me. Is there a musical, one that you saw recently or an older one that you feel changed you or your life in some way? This is easy. It's Godspell, hands down. Um, and it's because it's the first time beyond, you know, we were talking about Mary Poppins earlier and you sort of the experience of that as a kid, but that was the first time as a teen who was experiencing the art form for the first time that I remember thinking, oh, look, you can tell stories with songs. I think that was the first time I'd made that sort of connection. Mm. Um, and because that was, you know, sort of a personal relationship that I had with my father, who would bring home LPs to the house all the time. And he brought home Godspell. And I remember looking at it and seeing a character with suspenders and a Superman t-shirt on the cover. And (laughs) he was supposed to be Jesus, I guess. And so I was confused by it, right? But by the same token, I remember listening and thinking, oh my gosh, there's a story. And I can go to track two and there's a, it continues the story. And so I think that was my first introduction to the structure in the art form. Sweeney Todd. Um, I think that was the first musical that really like sank its hooks into me. Um, we did it mm-hmm. in high school, and I was the rehearsal pianist, so it was it was a really interesting experience for me to both like be it in that really depressing setting for like most of my free time for a month, um, but then to just like become really aware of like the inner workings of the show and and how intricately the plot is all woven together. I would start following a different character every time we would run the show, and like see how like flawlessly their their character map went both in terms of like motivation and like well it makes sense that they're not here for this scene but they're here for the next one and like it was just really masterful writing and I think that really drew me in. What's a musical people might be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised? Okay so People who know me, and I'm saying students and people I work with and people in the business or whatever, know that one of my favorite words is authenticity. So that's a huge thing for me as a director or whatever I'm working on. But, um, and, and I talk about that a lot. Authenticity, I'm a hold a mirror up to life artist. So that's why this show is very surprising to people. <laughs> but I love Sunset Boulevard. Oh, Sunset And I think Boulevard. the reason is, it is so just over the top, (laughs) 
sweeping and insane from beginning to end mm. that the the melodrama of it is hard to resist. Mm. And there is there's this great lyric, and there's a ton of them, but there's this great lyric from the show that is not supposed to make people laugh, I don't think, but I laugh every time because it's just so bizarre. But <laughs> Joe was talking about how he his first impression of being at Norma's mansion, and he says the wind wheezing through that organ, Max shuffling around, a dead ape dumped on a shelf, and her staring like a gorgon. And the first time I heard that, I thought, that is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, had, had I written that, I would have been like, really? I better not mm -hmm. use that. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that's, I think that's probably my choice, because it's, it flies in the face of my sort of love for authenticity. The first musical that came to mind was actually a review called I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. Mm -hmm. um, it just follows like the the through line is just like love from beginning to end. So like in the beginning you're seeing like first dates and things, and the first act ends in like a marriage, and the second act ends with like an older couple. And um, it's funny and it's moving. And um, I don't consider myself to be someone who really likes seeing romance mm -hmm. on stage or like really like uh, putting it on a pedestal in a way. And I feel like theater does that a lot, and this is like completely overtly all about that. But I just, I still love it. It's, it's kind of cheesy, and it's, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's so hard on sleeve, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised that I like it. <laughs> well, cool. Let's move on to our topic, which is mental illness or looking at mental illness in musical theater. Um, I guess we should start before we um, go into kind of more of the theater stuff is what what is your background both of you in kind of this world and why did you uh choose it as a topic today and kind of a topic about i know you you included in your own work i think for me uh, it, it comes from a personal place of you know family and friends and um understanding and coming to understand um, mental illness and particularly anxiety and depression, which is um, where most of my knowledge and information came from, mm -hmm. and realizing how uh, how much misinformation or just lack of discussion at all exists around the topic. So that's sort of how I came at it, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and why it ends up in my work, certainly, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dave and I have discussed how um, I think everyone, I can safely say that everyone either has or knows someone who has some kind of struggle with mental illness. Um, and so in that way, it's pretty universal to all of us and pretty important to be talking about because I feel like a lot of the time, we don't really know how to help people who have it. And um, just like coming to an understanding of how to, how to just how to help our friends mm -hmm. and family with it. Um, I remember in high school, like having friends who were probably depressed, mm -hmm. but I'm undiagnosed and I didn't know what to do. And I, right. I felt so helpless. Um, not that it's about me in that sense, you know, obviously it's, it's right. about getting them the care that they need. And so the more that we can talk about it and destigmatize it, not just in New York, which I feel like is pretty good about these things, but um, all across the country. And I feel like theater is a good vehicle for that. Yeah, great. Um, so why do, you think it's important to explore mental illness through musical theater? I, I, I don't know if it's any more important to do it through musical theater than any other medium. And I say that because I feel like if there's a megaphone 
to be used, then we should be shouting through it about this topic. I also think that uh, arts tend to attract a lot of people who do struggle with mental illness. Mm. There's statistically a strong correlation between uh, people with tendencies towards schizophrenia and people who are highly creative. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really interesting. It's like it involves some of the same areas of the brain. So, um, I mean, I think that there's no better place to be talking about it than a place where you're, you're attracting a lot of individuals to a community um, who may already be struggling with this. And so just just going to the source and, and being able to address it in a place where people are already gathering, I think is really helpful. I think every time there's a character on stage who demonstrates symptoms or signs or language that feels familiar to people who suffer, mm-hmm. that's huge. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, in, in the same way that anyone sees themselves on stage, I think it works here too. Yeah. So if you see a character that, oh my gosh, I, I do that, and I, I feel like there's something wrong with me when I do that. Mm-hmm. So to see someone else behave in a certain way or speak a certain way that feels familiar is of enormous help um, in terms of battling the, the loneliness or sort of self-deprecation that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, There's an article that you shared, Shoshana, about mm-hmm. uh, the concept of witnessing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you may be able, be able to speak to this better than I can, but from what I understand, it's this idea of, like, it can be cathartic and therapeutic to see a story similar to yours on stage because you get to sort of um, vicariously experience what they are going through and what you're going through at the same time and, and hopefully experience some healing. Yeah. through that and that was really powerful and interesting to me yeah um as i was thinking about this topic and yeah thinking about that concept especially when like you're younger and you feel very isolated mm-hmm. with whatever whether it's you or someone in your family that's dealing with it and you're dealing with it as a family member um i remember this wasn't as i was looking at lists of musicals that um, of different mental illnesses or disorders that show up in musicals I didn't see anyone mention Tommy and Mm -hmm. for me as a kid Mm -hmm. who has uh, autism in their family uh, Tommy was very important for me Mm -hmm. that I saw it I was Mm -hmm. 12 years old to see a a story about a character who um, he's not labeled uh, autistic in the musical or anything, but to be someone exhibiting all those uh, kind of behaviors and the effects on the family, it felt very kind of validating that there was this musical out there. Do you guys have any shows that you, I guess, have seen that speak to the power of witnessing in your in your lives? Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, I still think that I would identify next to normal that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think it was because it felt like this suburban protected thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That was not protected, right? It yeah. ultimately wasn't. So even your white picket fence and your money in your neighborhood and you know, none of that mattered because mental illness is not selective in that way. Mm-hmm. So I think probably that spoke in that way to me, I suppose. Is there anything musically that helps to, oh, yeah. uh, to explore these issues? Um, there was something that you said, I think, in the intro of your podcast about mm-hmm. um, how 
words make you think a thought mm -hmm. and, and music makes you feel a feeling and then songs make you feel a thought. Yeah, the yep, yeah it's the Yip Harbor quote. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, thought, I find that fascinating and that's so true. I mean, mm -hmm. there's so much evidence that music can be therapeutic in so many ways. Um, apart from when it's specifically addressing the trauma that, you know, people have gone through. And so, mm -hmm. um, right. yeah, um, just the marrying of, of multiple kinds of media in that way and, and then adding drama also, um, all of those holistically, I think it's, it's really exciting to me because it's like if one thing won't grab you, the other thing will. Like mm -hmm. maybe you're not listening to the lyric here, but something about this music is speaking to your soul on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And that may be, even be more important than what you're hearing lyrically and speaking to even like a more primal part of your human brain. I guess we can move into kind of examples of shows that have addressed mental illness, um, either successfully or not successfully. A lot of people are now talking about this online, just like the different musicals that, that do. Dear Evan Hansen, um, of course, Next to Normal. Um, there was one uh, early one called Lady in the Dark that I hadn't heard of before, but apparently that is also was like one of the early musicals to feature a character who was struggling with huh. uh, either depression or, or some kind of mental illness and it's about her kind of psychotherapy about sure. it. yeah um but yeah what are what are some other shows i mean we talked about next to normal but what are some shows that you guys have seen that uh you think are are good uh good examples of uh portraying different kinds of mental illness I, I think one that always comes to me is La Mancha, mm -hmm. and I think it's oh. because the character is, his delusions, as they're always called in the show, mm -hmm. his delusions become, become the stuff of heroism, and I think that's an important message, an important topic, mm -hmm. that we take these characters and we elevate what others have deemed unworthy as the worthiest. Hmm. Um, and I think that's what La Mancha does well, and that um, it's a good standard um, to follow, I think, in terms of representing these characters on stage. Yeah, that's great. Um, I thought of Fun Home, actually, mm -hmm. um, and just thinking about how mental illness, I would say the father in that case was, yeah. you know, um, mm -hmm. but in the way that... Uh, when it goes unaddressed, it can ripple through and have devastating effects as it as it moves, you know, through families. And um, it's just important to think about uh, if you if you don't want to get help for yourself, <laughs> do it for the people you love, you yeah. know, because it will inevitably affect them. So I found that to be, I mean, it's it's obviously sad, but right. um, just interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, and what about shows? Are there any that? you feel like don't address mental illness in a good way or the best way? I feel like any time a show does a surface level presentation, like we push up to a line but we never really talk about it, mm -hmm. I feel like that's furthering the problem. Yeah. So, because that's what we all do anyway. So if, 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 if we're going to have a character that is, is struggling in that way, then by God, let's talk about it and let's make it a central force of that character's arc mm -hmm. um but when we when we surface level it we're not helping anyone yeah. yeah that idea of using a crazy as a plot device or even worse as like a laughing right. stock because mm -hmm. we see that uh -huh. and then you know 
and and that just minimizes um, the problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what about like comedy versus drama? Next to Normal has funny moments, mm-hmm. but it's more of a drama. Whereas um, I, something like uh, anyone can whistle that deals with um, mm-hmm. people who are you know crazy in uh, in the town um, is kind of done more comedically. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess from my perspective, uh, I would find it challenging right now to develop comedic characters in this way mm-hmm. because of the. Because of, and I applaud anyone who wants to, for sure, um, because I think it can be very useful. Mm-hmm. We certainly don't need a hundred musicals that are, you know, two-hour evenings of just utter driving mm-hmm. sadness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. for sure. So, but I, I just personally don't know how to approach that in a way that doesn't um, suggest the wrong things mm-hmm. um, in a time when we really need to be careful about our language about this topic um, because it's being talked about so little. It's getting better, certainly, but because of the silence, I feel like right now, anyway, the leaning toward drama is kind of where we are. And mm-hmm. I certainly hope that that balance shifts and becomes more even, but that's where I think we are anyway. Yeah, sure. Um, I would take like a 10 degree left turn and talk about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Um, as a yeah, great yeah. example of something that is doing comedy well in this topic. Because I think like they work so hard to make those characters relatable in a way that like we're laughing with them, hopefully, rather than at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. that's that's the main goal with that. And, and obviously, like I think laughter is such a powerful tool for healing and I think it, it, it makes people open up their hearts so that then you can kind of like get right in there with the drama and uh, yeah. and, and talk to them about what you really want to say um, and they'll be more right. receptive because you've made them laugh. Yeah, so. that's a good example. Speaking of, and speaking of witnessing, what we were talking about before, I think a lot of people, um, whether they even have a diagnosed mental illness or not, Really, fi- really see themselves in a lot of different characters on that show, and it's yeah. been really important uh, that way as well. Yeah, yeah. So another, I guess, distinction I want to look at is um, shows that have mental illness dealing uh, dealing with mental illness in teens or adults, and how because Dear Evan Hansen's a big one mm-hmm. now with teens. Next to Normal dealt mostly with adults, although there's stuff with the the daughter as well. Oh, sure. mm-hmm. um, it makes me think also oh. of Heather's oh. um, in terms of teens. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think it's great that we are seeing um, a lot of these shows now. It's, it's nice to see um, shows where high schoolers can see themselves on stage mm-hmm. um, and really, really identify with the characters and, and hopefully like learn something about themselves in the yeah. process because I think you know the younger you are, you just, you just there's less that you know. Um, right. And so to be able to learn things like this in a safe environment um, is really important. But I also think there's, there's value in seeing people of all ages represented on stage with this because an, an adult may not go to see a show about teenagers, but they might see one about themselves or, or people their age. I could not agree more. And I think from a teen perspective, too, already the, the uh, verbal communication between teens and parents 
and on a normal day, it's <laughs> skewed and strained. <laughs> and so you add this element of it, and that's difficult. But if there's a 16-year-old that can say, Mom, listen to this song. This, mm. is, this is what I've been trying to tell you, but mm. don't know how. That's enormous. I mean, what a huge thing. I mean, it's giving them tools and language that they can use and, and, and share and open up conversations. So mm-hmm. I, I cheer that on for sure. Yeah. What about um, kind of musical styles? You know, we had a lot of more recent ones using more of like a rock score. Sure. As a composer, do you see like one style kind of working over the other or does it? Yeah, great question. I, it does matter, I think, for sure. I think mm-hmm. the fun thing about um, the way that musical theater music is sort of trending these days, which mm-hmm. is to sort of take elements of pop and and uh, blend them in and make this sort of contemporary MT mm-hmm. sound. Um, it's exciting because you hear all these people singing Waving Through a Window, right. and it's like, it's an interesting way in which like musical theater songs are sort of Trojan horsing their way into the the main mainstream zeitgeist, mm-hmm. um, and so that's really cool because you know the more accessible we can make this music, then the more accessible we make the message behind it. Right. Um, but I think it's great to appeal to everyone's tastes, and there's certainly room for um, more classical sounding things and. Um, yeah, I'm just excited about um, how it's proliferating across all genres. Yeah, basically. that's true. Um, I was uh, haven't seen Jagged Little Pill, but mm-hmm. apparently that um, is a story of mental illness as well. Using songs from the '90s, right, uh, to tell a story, mm-hmm. even like older music coming back to be fresh for today's audiences. Um, yeah, is happening as well within this uh, topic. Um, and speaking of that, just like the classic show versus a contemporary show, and how do you guys see um, this topic uh, evolving from, you know, back in golden age mm-hmm. of musical theater um, to today? I, I mean, for me, I think there's a, uh, we, we, there, there tends to be this misunderstanding that um, mental illness is <laughs> somehow a a, a a new conceit mm-hmm. of, the, of modern times, <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess. And I think that's not true. So I think for me, you know, something like St. Anne's, Oklahoma, uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. is an interesting sort of character study that starts to head in that direction. Like maybe we can look at things you know, through through 2018 glasses mm-hmm. without judgment, but mm-hmm. with um, with a new understanding about how we interact with each other. I guess so. I think that's sort of important. Yeah. And so, for me, I love going back and thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know if the authors intended this or not. But either way, um, the the fresh eyes that we have to look at things can launch new discussions. So, um, yeah. I I think both. Classic and contemporary and uh, shows can tell us the same stories, um, and they're just addressing them to new audiences. Mm-hmm. I find it encouraging to look back on classic shows and just think about how far we've come already mm-hmm. in our uh, medical research and our um, willingness to talk about these things and like um, talk about them more in the open because. 
writers were already dealing with these things, you know, in the 40s and 50s. Um, they were doing it in a more subversive way because it wasn't something that was talked about and there were a lot more taboos then around a lot of different topics um, than there are now. So um, it's just exciting to see how far we've come in a relatively short time with that. Along those lines, um, do you, I guess, see a difference in uh, musicals whose characters uh, have the specific diagnosis as part of the story? Mm-hmm. Or like maybe more of the older style of characters who express the symptoms, but the diagnosis is never identified and it's not mm-hmm. part of like the narrative of the show. Mm-hmm. To go back to the Dear Evan Hansen uh, example, mm-hmm. um, I think you know a lot of people identify with waving through a window, even people who don't have mental illness diagnosed or not, right. which is interesting I feel like it could be a good thing in that it can help them be sympathetic towards people with mental illness be like oh if this is what I'm feeling that's what that person is feeling times a hundred so I should be more understanding of them and open-minded towards what they're going through on the flip side it can be oh what you're going through is not that bad I do I have the same thing and I live with it right so I I don't know whatever we can do with our shows that can uh, foster empathy towards our fellow human and I don't know the answer <laughs> practically what that means, but yeah. yeah well, yeah. I think going back to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, it's interesting because, I mean, as I was had have been watching the show, it's like I relate to her character mm-hmm. as, you know, I don't have her diagnosis. But right. just as someone who, like you rarely see in um, any narrative form uh, a show or a story about a woman who's obsessed with a guy and goes and goes after him right. in that way. Right. <laughs> um, it's usually like a guy being obsessed with a girl. Right. But so <laughs> so just that just that aspect of mm-hmm. life, I think a lot of women, you know, latched onto that and For she sure. goes a lot further. I think it's the extre- extreme yeah. extremity of it. Mm-hmm. Like she like she goes to a point that like I would never go right. to, and yeah. maybe I I don't know how much it's exaggerated. The actual diagnosis is exaggerated mm-hmm. in the show, but um, she like it gets to a point where it's like I relate to her up to this extent, right? Yeah, and then beyond that, that's her, that's her mental illness mm-hmm. that I don't have, right? Yeah. yeah. So as long as we can go to a place that's not like, oh, I'm not that bad. You know, like, like I can relate with this person up to here, but I would never do this. Right. And if we can go to a place of, like, oh, I understand how that could come from something that I'm feeling. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of times it's, like, we have a lot of those things with, everyone has a lot of those right. things within themselves. It's just a more, like, we're more able to control them, the people who don't have that diagnosis. Right. Sure. Way. Yeah. Or deal with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I also wanted to just, you know, because I think actually a lot about this is the uh, real, uh, realistic interpretations versus fantastical interpretations. Like, next to normal, Dear Evan Hansen, both, like, really uh, realistic, mm-hmm. even though there's some sequences, you know, where in Next to Normal where she, like, imagines, like, uh, her doctor, being right. a rock star, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But generally, it's a pretty realistic um, portrayal. I personally like seeing both mm-hmm. in the same piece. Because I think that the 
the juxtaposition of maybe how starkly different the fantasy from the reality is, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. can be powerful. Yeah. Um, but I also think from an audience perspective, it allows uh, people who are maybe are not sufferers or who are uh, who have sufferers in their life, uh, gives them a chance to sort of get in the head of their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think whenever those fantasy sequences are a fantastical approach to a piece, um, puts a visual face on an illness that's difficult to put into words. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think using both is, in the same piece is really powerful. That's for me, anyway. Yeah. So what do we feel may be uh, missing from the genre of uh, mental illness in, in musicals? I think a topic area that's not addressed is the social stigma around mental health in mm-hmm. general. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always, you're right, you know, there's, there's your Dear Evan Hansen character and there's the people around him who he feels largely ignored, they're largely ignoring him. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, but that also could just be high school. Yeah. Um, right? So I, I, I think maybe th- there needs to be this addressing of, of how we socially, societally are handling the mental health direction and along those lines I think the toll that it takes on society in general you know what happens if we don't address it yeah I think the more specific we can get the better and now we have the chance we have like the foundation is in place with these other shows that have sort of paved the way one thing I'm thinking about well two things actually one is that just more um, I would love to see more shows that use the fantastical to um, kind of get more at the emotional response to a person who is experiencing that within her family. And the other thing I, I want to see, would love to see, is uh, just more more stories about mental illness um, told by uh, non-white writers. Yes. Um, I mean. You know, you can put someone of color into dear as dear Evan uh, as Evan Hansen, but just a story that's kind of told from the perspective of uh, someone who's non-white. I would love to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, people who have a harder agree. time uh, getting doctors to believe them. Mm-hmm. Like just seeing like how mental illness is compounded by uh, being of a lesser privileged class. That's a really mm-hmm. good point. Yeah, yeah, and definitely like the class issues surrounding mental illness. Yeah. And I think too on those lines, I think that means we have to be careful that we're not building in justifications for characters' behavior or mental illness. Mm. And I guess what I mean by that is I don't want um, audiences to be able to walk away and say, oh, well, they were that way because their mother died, or they were that way because they were abused as a child. All those things can be triggers, certainly, but yeah. to, to, to isolate mental illness as the result of trauma only right. um, yeah. is problematic, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I think that's, it seems like that would be a danger in, um, uh, in, narr- in any narrative, because like, we're, all, like, right? we're always like, taught to ask, like, why, is the, why does this character do yeah, this? Uh-huh. Why, what's the reason, you know, <laughs> right. that's supposed to help the audience yeah. understand. But sometimes, you know, there is no reason. It's just how yeah. they are, and then we deal with the, 
with the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Which is a lot harder to write because it resists an easy narration. Yeah. Sure. Let's move on to our why is this so good section. Um, so for this section, for this uh, song, you guys have chosen I Miss the Mountains from mm -hmm. Next to Normal. Um, so I want to just start with why you guys chose this, chose this song to talk about why it's so good. All right, so for, for me, um, I'm talking about it from a lyric perspective mm -hmm. um, and why I'm, I'm so in love with it. And I think the, the first thing for me is an easy trap, I think, for lyricists is that in an effort to, um, I don't know, whether it's to be deep or be complicated, um, mm -hmm. we tend to avoid like beating a single metaphor into the ground, right? Right. Um, and so the danger of that is we end up with a lot of mixed metaphors. Um, so what I love is that Brian Yorkie here just picks one, right? Mm -hmm. Mountains and valleys, metaphor for life, and then just dipped in, mm -hmm. digs in his heels. And that's what it becomes. And, and because of that, it's so beautiful and perfect and honest. Um, but also that um, it, it also addresses, which is not addressed very often in musicals at all, it addresses the medication issue. Mm -hmm. um, and so this double-edged sword nature of medication is really in the lyrics, not just in this song, but in all of them. But everything is perfect, but nothing's real. The air is clear, but it also cuts you like a knife, right? So that the dichotomy of what medication does to her mm -hmm. um, is is also part of the problem and not often addressed. So those are two sort of reasons why I love this piece a lot. And I think it's super effective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, um, musically what I find kind of extraordinary about this song is that it is so clearly coming out of Alice's mind, not Alice. Um, <laughs> Diana. <laughs> Diana. <laughs> Alice is so, she's so iconic in the role. Yeah. Um, it's so clearly on her side. There's no hint in the music that foreshadows that something terrible is about to happen. You know, um, I mean, I, I feel like we as an audience can tell that her being off medication is not necessarily the best thing. But in this, it's like, Oh, that music is it's like so Americana, it's so mm -hmm. wistful and it's it's meeting us in that place where she is exactly where it's like it's it's emotional but it's not it doesn't really escape a maybe at the end it's sort of you know when you have the key change and everything mm -hmm. but um, for most of it it's it's, it's sitting in this like kind of mid-range place in her voice. It's like a kind of an easy lilt. Um, there's nothing really dramatic happening. Um, so you're with her in this place of like just like level out kind of emotionless. Yeah. Um, and and when we get to the end, it's kind of a triumph sounding in the music mm -hmm. and um, just with no sense of any like foreboding doom anything like that. And so I I think that is so such a brave thing to do to just like go in there with the music and really ally yourself with the character and and resist telling the audience that something else is coming, mm -hmm. you know? Just, just like really being with, allied with her in that moment. I miss the mountains I miss the dizzy heights All the manic magic days And the dark depressing nights 
you on her side in a way yeah. to to do what she's about to do which is throw her medication away absolutely um yeah and it, as you said even though like we know that that's probably not the best idea yeah yeah <laughs> but we're kind of we're with we're with her in that moment for yeah. sure yeah it's interesting i this was has never been my my favorite song in the show mm-hmm. but i think mostly because it's kind of, like a lot of the show. I mean, there's songs, but mm-hmm. they're a little more like expansive. There's most of them are sequences. Mm-hmm. They're like um, using like musical themes that like come in and out. Um, it's very sung through. Yeah. I think the whole show is sung through, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and this was kind of just like this simple song <laughs> that yeah. kind of like. I mean, it's a great song to, like, kind of pull out right. and, like, ha- if you're, you know, showcasing the show or right. whatever. But, yeah, it was just, like, this simple song, like, among all that more uh, kind of intricate stuff. I don't know how many how many moments in the show she really has alone like right. that. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in many ways, it's, like, a delayed I want song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, because... You know, certainly, I mean, not just lyrically, but of course it's happening on stage. Like, I mean, she literally even says, I miss my life. Like, mm-hmm. that, she's making a decision. Yeah. So that's, all the elements of what we know about I want her there. Mm-hmm. So that's, it, it's just a, a, a new take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's nice to just finally get to hear her say what she really wants, even though it's so late. Right. Yeah. I wonder, does this come after, before or after the twist? In the show, and not that that would make a difference in her, you know, emotional journey of this, but mm-hmm. just from the audience perspective, right, of like where we are in understanding her. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's it's actually not. So she does do this, uh-huh. in fact, just before um, oh, the reveal. Okay. Yeah. So it's like one last uh, supporting beam for her in in the audience's eyes before mm. it's all like sort of right. ripped out from under us. I see. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's just an interesting thing to to think about, like where where we are with her in that moment. Because once we know mm-hmm. about Gabe, our I, I think that our as an audience, our kind of perception of everything in the show changes. Yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, at least the first time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the first yeah. Time we see it. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and like the word mountain with the music that's going, it's just like yeah, yeah very like. I miss there's there's something like almost like nostalgic for like a a different time and place yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. opening up there with the with the guitar and the, yeah like we're on the open road exactly <laughs> it feels like we're like in an actual literal yeah. mountain range you yeah. know like with people sitting on their porch and like <laughs> right, jam bands right. which is yeah. fun yeah right yeah 
my you know, wild and refers to the days yeah right and like all the manic magic days yeah they have a great lyric on top of it but they also seem to be are they contradicting are they not i don't right. know right. i don't know the little yeah. alliteration there manic magic days mm -hmm. dark depressing nights mm -hmm. i love the key change so both great. musically but also from a character it's mm -hmm. just yeah the key change is really nice yeah well, and I love that um, the music starts modulating and everything is balanced here. And on, like, as, as she's talking about things being balanced, the music starts to shift and be unbalanced right. underneath oh, right, her. Right, right, right. Like, yeah. she's starting to, like, really feel like when things were more up and down yeah. than, uh -huh. like, steady. Mm -hmm. And then you mm -hmm, feel her true. make that decision yeah. going into the last chorus. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Mountains make you crazy. Here it's safe and sound. My mind is somewhere hazy, my feet are on the ground. Everything is balanced here and on an even keel. Everything is perfect. Nothing's real. Nothing's real. weather imagery that's going on as I'm looking at the lyric the yeah. the wind and the snow and the rain and there are all these I guess like weather that kind of we just experience every every day different changes in the weather and like mm. kind of take for granted but like yeah what if you what if it was sunny every day yeah. um maybe like LA or something, but. <laughs> <laughs> or cloudy every day. Yeah, or, or cloudy like, every day, or, you know, yeah, rainy awesome. every day. Just like the different, the different yeah. weather mm -hmm. um, that, you know, we kind of just experience and, but it does make every day so different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think just imagining the weight of the choice that she's making, which mm -hmm. is, the lows are so devastating, mm -hmm. they nearly kill her. Yeah. But she'd rather have those and not lose the highs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a huge choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the weight of what's happening there. And that's, I think, why I love it too. Yeah. yeah. I, I miss the mountains. I miss. My life, I miss my life. Let's talk about um, our final section called Something Wonderful. Um, or we just talk about things either that we've seen recently or we are excited about coming up, either shows or um, events, concerts, books we've read, anything mm -hmm. that relates to, anything that might relate to musical theater. Well, I, I, I'm going to say Jagged Little Pill. Yeah. That's something I'm so Absolutely. looking forward to. And mm -hmm. I think I'm going to age myself a little bit here, but... Um, <laughs> Alanis Morissette was like the soundtrack of my undergrad. <laughs> it's 
So, and that, that album in particular, because it was just revolutionary to hear, it's honesty was so revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And so for me, she, that was already a musical. Oh, mm-hmm. she's already written musical. It's right here. Mm-hmm. So the, it, it's natural translation to the stage, even under a new book. And I'm the same way. I haven't seen it. I'm unfamiliar with the, the book. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. I think it's a it, it's a natural translation. So I'm very excited about that piece. Um, I'm excited for The Secret Life of Bees. Oh. I know nothing about it except the people involved, and that is very exciting to me. Lynn Nottage and Duncan <laughs> Sheik in collaboration. I anything. I'm just a sucker for Duncan Sheik. <laughs> I really am. I'm excited to see Santino Fontana is doing... Uh, Tootsie. Well, he's doing Tootsie, but he's doing this program um, at the 92nd Street Y. They have like a lyric, oh, lyrics yeah. and lyricist uh-huh. program. So he's like doing with with other singers but he's kind of like curating it um a rogers and hart evening which i'm going to oh I'm, cool I'm excited. oh yeah, yeah. Um, that great i think yeah i think he's a great performer speaking of crazy ex-girlfriend yeah um right right and right. uh i'm excited to see him do like the, the a real classic but yeah but kind of funny tart like uh uh over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm right. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Please write to us at scenetosong at gmail.com at any time with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater in general, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast. Scene to Song is now on Twitter at the handle Scene Song. Follow us there, as well as on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. And be sure to rate this podcast on iTunes, subscribe, and share it with your friends. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.